Come on. Book of Mark, chapter number 9. And I'm not going to tell you the verse exactly yet. We're going to talk about something tonight that is going to have a very unusual section of scriptures to talk about it. Probably don't surprise anybody. Um, but it's exactly what this section of scripture is referring to. Uh, I guess what I would call tonight's Bible study is Holiness 101. Holiness 101. And anytime they call something 101, they just mean basics, the beginning of. This is where you start and where you learn. Now, <laughs> real holiness ain't got a thing to do with rules. Uh, religion does. Real holiness doesn't. And, and let me say this too. Um, let me just give you this example. Uh, when I was young in the Lord, I heard about this, this pastor that preached against the color red. Well, that's a problem for me. I love the color red. My wife would always dressed me in black, and I love the color red, so everything was either black or it was red. And this preacher, this pastor, preached against the color red. And, you know, without thinking, right off the surface, I, I said, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I can preach against color. That ain't a Bible. How in the world can I be right? And then I found out that he had a lot of ex-prostitutes in his congregation. And the reason that he preached against the color red, he didn't preach that it was a sin, but he preached, please try not to wear that in the, in the services because there's a lot of women here that their former selves used to wear that color as an advertisement to sell their bodies. Now, when I heard that story... That was a revelation for me because I stepped back and I thought, okay, now there's going to be some things that, that a pastor, an under-shepherd, right, in one place might preach that's completely different than what somebody else might preach. Now, I'm not talking about something you can go to a chapter and a verse with, right? Okay? But I'm saying that if a, a pastor has a lot of uh, ex-drug acts in the congregation, there's going to be some things that that pastor will preach a little bit harder than the pastor down the road that's got all people that have been in Sunday school all their lives that are backslidden, never said a foul word and don't spend on the sidewalk, right? So there are some things that God does give an under-shepherd that will be specific to that particular flock. But the difference and the key is not to preach it like it's vital. When you start preaching stuff like it's Bible, then you're adding to the Word of God. And last I remember, that means you're getting a plague added to you, right? So, having said that, holiness ain't got nothing to do with rules. Um, I, I'm not much for rules. Uh, I mean, I got my slides on. I did ride with Lori. So, I mean, if there had to be a tire change, we're calling AAA. <laughs> <laughs> <Now free. laughs> But, you know, I'm not much for rules. Now, now, let me say this too. Now, there are different standards for different things. And before, you, you know, the blinkers go on and the, and the danger Will Robinson starts kicking in your mind, let me explain what that means. I'm not talking about a setup. You've got to do this to be, you know, in the church. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is for different things, different types of ministries, it would make sense that there are different standards that would be required for somebody to be a part of them, okay? Like, okay, let's say, um, I, in a lot of churches, if you ever notice, they'll have the keyboard. Now, Beth stands up and plays. 
But there are a lot of places where whoever plays a keyboard sits down while they play the keyboard. And you'll see a lot of places will have some kind of a curtain on the front of that keyboard, right? That's because if whoever's playing a keyboard, if it's a lady wearing a skirt and she's sitting down, then there's nothing unseemly. Make sense? Right. Okay. So see, that would be, a, quote unquote, a standard that would make sense. Like if you're going to be up here and you're going to sit down, we're glad we got the curtain in front of the keyboard, but please don't wear anything that if you sit down, you got to spend the whole service tugging it. Now see, those are reasonable standards. I mean, those just make sense to me. I don't want to have to be in the congregation and keep my eyes down the whole time because somebody's up there that dressed for the beach and not for the church. Does that make sense? Okay. So having said that, this section of scripture is all about holiness and it's going to be surprising to some of you. We're going to start with verse number 43. Now, Spud, I'm just going to tell you that there are parts of this that you're probably going to want to listen to after your mom uh, sometime at home tomorrow again because there's going to be parts of this that are going to be pretty heavy stuff that you're going to want to go through and listen to again so you don't get the wrong idea, okay? Okay, okay this is like that one I did on time. It's pretty heavy stuff. Check it out. Okay. Okay. Holiness 101. If your hand offends you, cut it off. See? <laughs> this one's going to be you need to listen to again. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now, this is Jesus talking. Now, it is better for you to enter into life maimed. Okay, I don't want to get too far ahead because this is, there's a lot right here, okay? The word offend right here comes from a word, scandalizo. And you can already guess what that's a root word for, scandalize, right? So the definition to this word offend means to scandalize, entrap, trip up, entice to sin, okay? So listen to that again. If your hand scandalizes you, if it entraps you, if it trips you up or entices you to sin, cut that hand off. Now, Jesus does not literally mean take a knife and a hatchet and cut that hand off. What, this, what he's talking about with our hand is the doing of something, okay? There can be something, a harmless activity that's harmless and sinless in itself but for somebody else, that activity might open up a whole can of worms for them that gets them looking back on their past and can cause problems in their walk with God. Now, for years and years, when I first got to church, there was no churches that played softball. The Jesus name people, we didn't do nothing but eat. And you could tell. I'm not lying. That's what we did. That's all we did was we ate. We never preached on gluttony, but we ate. We didn't never play ball. We didn't do any sports. And the reason why was because when I first heard it, they said that it was sinful. But after I was around a little bit, I realized what the real problem was is when you have a sport in any kind of competition, it don't take long to find out what kind of spirit people got. It don't take long to find out brother so-and-so's got a real bad temper and if he has a bad play, he's going to throw his glove and throw his back and yell at the top of his lungs and dude's a deacon. So you see, the real reason why they eliminated sports from the apostolic church was because it caused stuff you could hide during the service to come out. Now, you know what my philosophy is? 
My philosophy is you shouldn't ban it. You ought to have more of it. Because that stuff makes those traits you have that we can hide on Sunday for three hours. We can hide it Wednesday night Bible study, right? But if we got something, some kind of pressure situation that makes those traits we hide everywhere else come up to the top, that's good. The reason it's good is because we can fix them. But if we stay out of situations where there's no pressure and we those bad traits and those part of our personality we don't have under control yet, because I remember reading somewhere that one of the gifts of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is temperance. Mm -hmm. That just means self-control. Well, you got preachers out on a ball diamond running teenagers over so they can be safe. That don't make no sense to me. And the reason they wouldn't play ball is because they didn't want to expose that. Wait a minute. We're not supposed to provide a place for bad traits to hide. We're supposed to be the people of the light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That means you can't hide that city. Well, if you can't hide the city, why are we hiding the people in it? It don't make any sense. So this thing right here, when Jesus said, if your hand entraps you or trips you up to sin, then you should cut that off, cut that activity off. Now, here's the line. On the ball diamond say, if we keep going out there, and eventually I talked my pastor into letting us have a ball team, and it went real well. It really did. Uh, everybody there wound up with great spirits because I had nothing but guys that had played ball the last time at recess at school, back in grade school. We didn't win a game the first two years. Remember, Mama? Yeah. And I had a rule when we started a team. I said, I don't care if you're safe by 10 feet. If that umpire calls you out, you're out. You don't argue. You get up and you go off the field. There's no yelling. There's no getting mad at anybody. If you do, I'll kick you right out of the game. And I did. And for two years, we got shellacked. And everybody kept a good spirit all the way through. And then guess what God did? God honored it. Because the next two years, we won the whole league in the regular season and won the championship at the end of the year. But guess what happened? During those seasons, all those traits that we can hide from each other got exposed, right? Now, here's the thing. If those fellows had not have listened to me, have not been disciplined and listened to me when I told them, okay, that's it, no attitude, or I tell them, that's it, no more, I don't want to hear another word. If they hadn't listened, if there hadn't been arguments, hadn't been fights, well then, that would have been something they had no control over and enticed them to sin, so we would have had to cut that off. Does that make sense? Yeah. There might be something that one of you, that some activity you used to have back in the day, right, that somebody else can do, and it don't bother them a bit. But for us, it might be video games. Like, I know there's people who can play video games for eight hours a day, man. Well, you know, I, I don't remember last time I played one, but if I played one, it'd probably be, I don't know, half hour, hour. And then I'm like, okay, I'm out, right? But somebody else who has a problem with that and will play for eight hours and not mow the yard or not do the dishes or not clean the house or not go get groceries, right? That's a problem. So since that's a problem for them, they have to cut that activity off. So you see, it's not really the hand that gets cut off. It's the thing the person does. So it doesn't matter if it's not a sin for anybody else. If it becomes a problem for me, guess what? It's also become a sin. If I'm not keeping up with my reasonable responsibilities in my home or in my, my walk with God because of some activity, then that activity is now a sin. 
If that's making me where I don't, I don't do my responsibilities at home, where I don't do anything uh, on my job, or I'm not handling things in my family because I'm spending eight hours a day playing the video game or out shooting baskets, guess what? That out shooting baskets has become a sin. That video game has become a sin because it's pulled me away from what I'm supposed to do by God. Because by God, I'm supposed to be a good steward of my home. By God, I'm supposed to be a good steward of my family. By God, I have a lot of things that I should be a good steward over. So an activity that's not a sin in itself, if it gets in the way of those things that I'm supposed to do, has become a sin. Does that make sense to everybody? So now the way this is holiness is, right? Holiness is about relationship. If you have a relationship with God, you're going to be holy. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when we open our mouth and say, God, if there's anything in my life you don't like, I want you to tell me about it, right? If there's anything in my life I'm not doing you want me to, I want you to, I want you to tell me about it. Guess what God will do? He'll start telling you about it. All of a sudden, it'll be something you've done all your life, and there's no chapter and verse for it, and nobody ever said it was a sin, but because I asked God, Lord, if there's something I'm doing you don't like, tell me, and God starts to make me feel funny about that thing, guess what? Now it's become a thing between me and God. And if I don't listen, if I don't respond, then I'm shutting the door to God somewhere in my life. And I'm saying, God, I'm not listening to you. So then what happens if somebody in my family gets real bad sick or I got a real bad need in my life somewhere and I come to that same God who I asked to talk to me about my life and he did, but I ignored him. And now I'm saying, oh God, please. Oh, it's going to be a little bit of a problem, right? But holiness is about relationship. All holiness is is God saying, I love you, but I want you to come a little closer. (laughs) And the Bible says, God said, be ye holy because I'm holy. That's why we have to be holy. Not because of a church or or a denomination or organization or a preacher or any of that stuff. We got to figure out how to be holy because God told us to. So if God starts to deal with you about something and all of a sudden you just don't feel right, Ask, Lord, is this you? And if it continues to feel off to you, it's God. And then you know what you do? You say, okay, God, I'm not doing that no more. Right? I'm done with that. You know what will happen? When God sees that you're going to respond to that, even if it don't make sense to anybody else, even if you can't point at a chapter and verse, God's going to start talking to you about a lot of other stuff. But the other stuff is going to be cool stuff. It won't be don't, don't, don't. That's not what holiness is. Holiness is, might be, don't do this so you can come over here, right? And holiness can also be, do this, this good thing, so you can come even closer. That's what holiness is. It's a relationship. It's personal relationship between us and God. Now, there's some things we can go over and make a list. We could all, if I had a chalkboard or a whiteboard, I could say, who could give me the first thing you know is not holy? Man, we could sit and do this. We could do this for three days, right? But that's not what it's about. What it's about is inviting God to lead us personally and saying, Lord, I'm serious, God. Anything in my life that for whatever reason you don't like, just tell me, let me know it, and I'm done. And if you do that, I promise you, there will be something because we're not perfect yet. We're not on that side yet. So there's some stuff that we do. And everybody here loves God with all your heart. So there's not one person here that's got a part of your life, you're doing something wrong, just doing it intentionally. You don't care if God don't like it. That's not what I'm saying at all. But God will bring us that scripture that says we go from glory to glory. 
And what that means is we get a little bit more like him as we grow in our relationship with him. And glory comes with cost. Sooner or later it does. So that hand part is activity. If your hand entices you to sin, cut it off. Don't do it no more. Now this is fascinating to me. Look what Jesus said. It is better for you to enter into life maimed. In other words, like if you literally cut that one hand off. But notice that. If you enter into life, wait, I got two hands already. Ain't I living already? Not according to Jesus. You understand? Jesus don't even consider this life yet. Well, man, I like a lot of stuff about this already. So if this ain't even life, and I got stuff down here that, man, I love doing. Like, I, I love coming to church and worshiping with you guys. I love opening the Bible. Let's go. Let's go somewhere in God today, right? Man, I love when I'm sitting there with my head down, and I feel somebody with an arm around me. It's my granddaughter that all of you have been helping us pray for for months and months and months. That just a little while ago was having some real bad problems. But now, she's got her arm around me. And then to watch her come trucking down the aisle to the altar when I'm praying for her nana. I mean, come on, that's awesome stuff. And if that ain't life, what is waiting? Right. Let that sink in for a minute. You take the thing that is the most awesome thing to you that you've ever experienced in this life down here and compare to what's coming, it ain't nothing. Amen. Now this, he said, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed. What he's saying is, whatever that activity is, you might feel like, man, that maimed me. I can't do that no more. God's dealing with me about that. I really like that. And if you're strong enough and self-disciplined enough to say, well, I, I know it's God dealing with me, so I ain't doing it no more. There'll be some time sooner or later where God will do like he did with Abraham and ask you to sacrifice that thing, man, just to see if you will. But sometimes there won't be a ram in the bush for you when you go to sacrifice it. Sometimes God will really want you to sacrifice that thing, right? So it comes with a cost sometimes. But listen to how he worded it. Sometimes it might feel like you've maimed yourself because you don't do that no more. Or, you know, you don't involve with that anymore. But Jesus said it's better to feel like you're maimed a little bit in this life and be able to enter into that one whole. So that means whatever it is, any activity, any activity that we would give up down here. Michael be a little tough down here, but once we get over there, we'll be like, I'm so embarrassed. I thought that was a thing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, man. Stop and think about that. If this ain't even life, then what is that thing that God would deal with me about not being involved in anymore compared to what I'm going to get when I enter into real life? It's going to be nothing to us. Hmm. If your hand entices you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed now, here's the consequence. If, if we know that an activity leads us to behave in a way we shouldn't or makes us have thoughts we shouldn't, but we continue to do it anyway, look, here's the consequence. It's better to feel like you're maimed, maybe, than having both hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. So he's saying, look, man. That might, if I quit doing that, quit being involved in that, I might have some old friends I've been doing that with. Take bowling, for instance. Ain't nothing wrong with bowling. 
But if I'm bowling with some friends that I've had all my life and they're not serving God and I am, and every time we go, you know, I used to drink with them every time we bowled and now I don't, but they still do. And I don't use the Lord's name in vain anymore. They throw a gutter ball and guess what? They're saying Jesus, but they ain't praying. I mean, how long can I be in that environment until God, who I've asked to help me be closer to Him, is going to say, you know what? You could be a lot closer to me if you didn't hang out in a situation where people are using my name in vain. I mean, God does get to that place with us and we have to be willing to listen. And then, okay, so if I'm in that situation, well, man, there was my three. I've been friends with them since high school. I'm, I'm going on 60 years old. I mean, I'm that one one brother's godfather. You know, he's my godson. And I'm like all their parties and they're like family. We grew up together. Now they're going to hate me. They're going to be mad at me. You know, what am I going to do now? And it may cost all that. That may feel like I've been maimed, but I would rather enter into eternal life having felt that down here and get to go to heaven and be with God and never have nothing like that ever again and live forever with Jesus than to say, Lord, you're just asking too much. I'm just going to ignore it when they use your name in vain and, and I'll just get this, you know, the smoke off me when I get home and, and you know, I'll try to keep them from getting in fights when they get drunk. And, but, you know, it ain't causing me to sin, God. Well, guess what? If God's dealing with me to get out of that situation when I don't, it is causing me right. to sin. I'm not drinking the drink. I'm not using the Lord's name in vain, but I refuse to come out of a situation that God wanted me to come out so I could be closer to Him. Does that make sense to everybody? And see, there ain't nothing wrong with bowling. Bowling's a blast. But it can be an atmosphere. It can be an environment, right? And again, that's about relationship. Now, I started dating Kitty. There have been some places that I used to go all the time. And, I, you know, all of a sudden, some of them places, because I had this relationship, I wasn't going there no more. It wasn't because I didn't go there and do anything against this relationship, but it was because the one I was in a relationship with was uncomfortable with me being there. Felt like that if I loved her that much, why would I want to put myself in that situation? And that's just how it is with God, right? See, holiness 101, it's easy. Easy peasy. Okay. It's better to take that maiming than to have both hands. In other words, than to keep doing that activity, whatever it is, and go into hell with a fire that never shall be quenched. Never go out. And look at this. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He felt the need to say it again. <laughs> he ain't absent-minded. When Jesus says something twice in a row, he's wanting to make sure we get the point. All of a sudden, if I have an activity like that, and I'm thinking, man, that's asking a lot. When he brings the home, the point back home again, dude, that's a fire that ain't ever going out. All of a sudden, that activity ain't that important to me anymore. Now watch this. See, the first one was the doing of something, right? Your hands. Now we're going to deal with the going. Watch this. If your foot offend you, same definition, entraps you, trips you up, or entices you to sin. So that's the going of somewhere. I mean, I, I seen a meme on Facebook one time that says, what do you mean, do you need the Holy Ghost? Honey, you need the Holy Ghost to go to Walmart, right? Everybody's probably seen that meme. Well, there are some places where it might not be a sin. There's not a chapter and a verse over that place, right? That we can't find the chapter and verse to say, Jimmy says in this book, this chapter, this verse, you don't go to that place, right? We can't find that. But if that place entices me, if by going there entices me to act 
in ways that aren't pleasing to God, entices me to talk in ways that aren't pleasing. Do you know murmuring's a sin? Murmuring. Man, I remember when I, I got a job at this place uh, uh, called Sam Dong uh, back when Obama took over and there was nothing. The economy killed the economy. Everything was awful. You couldn't find work. There was 50 people trying for one job and I went and got this job and I was happy to be there. Standing on concrete for 12 hours a day with no days off and I was happy to be there. And within four or five days, because man, we we're going to lose everything. We didn't have nothing to pay rent, food, lights, nothing. And the man was like, thank you God, this is an answer to prayer. And like a week later, there's these co-workers standing around talking. I don't know what they're talking about. And I went up, you know, hey, what's happening? They're talking. Well, there's complaining. There's complaining about this boss and that worker and that place there. And I'm standing there. Now, remember, I'm excited to be there. I'm thanking God for this job. Well, within 15 minutes, I'm complaining too. <laughs> and then I'm complaining right along with them. And then after about 10 minutes, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not mad about being here. I beg God to let me come in here. But see, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in an atmosphere, right? That can cause us to behave in a way. Not only is it not good, but we don't even really feel that way. That's not really us, right? And that's what this part about uh, uh, the feet, about going somewhere. It's not necessarily that that place is bad. There can be people at that place that cause us to behave or react or feel a certain type of way. If there's somebody somewhere and every time you go around them, you leave and you're mad and you take that anger out the rest of the day on other people they ain't done nothing to you, you need to stop going wherever that place is so you can avoid that person that rubs off on you like that. Oh, oh me, oh my, man. That just makes good sense, right? Jesus said, if your foot, if by going certain places, entraps you, entices you to sin... It is better for you to enter halt. In other words, lane, right? Now, you say that about church sometimes. Man, that's lame. I don't know why. Why in the world are you talking about not going there? It's lame, right? You can feel like by not going some of the places you've always been, it just don't feel natural to you. I've always been there, always gone there. Yeah, and I've always wound up with the wrong attitude. Yeah, and I've always wound up in an argument or wound up in a fight with the wrong spirit. And by avoiding those places, we can feel like we've been maimed. We can feel like my life just isn't like it used to be. Man, this is bad. This is crippling. But Jesus says, again, it is better for you, for us, to enter Halt, lame, into life. See, he does it again. It's like, dude, where do you think I am now? So stop and think again. What is there that's not worth giving up to go into life? If that's life, man, I want in. And he says, it's better for you to enter into life feeling that way than to have two feet to be cast into hell. Here we go again, man. You want to talk about a hard preacher? I'm having a hard enough time with him being my God. I couldn't imagine being in a pulpit every Sunday. You kidding me? <laughs> Stop going there. You're going to go to hell, bro. I mean, this warm, fuzzy Jesus everybody talks about. I mean, I see him when he lets the children come and he blesses them, but I'm not seeing him right here. What we need to understand is that even Jesus had to get real about some things 
to get his point across that this is real and this is forever and there is a hell. When's the last time you heard a message on hell? Well, get ready. You're going to real soon. I'm not going to warn anybody though. I want somebody to come. (laughs) It's better to enter halt in life than to have two feet and be cast into hell. Into Here he goes again, Nathan. Into the fire that never shall be quenched. It will never go out. And also, uh, where their worm dieth not, and again, minds me, the fire is not quenched. Their worm dieth not. Now, there's two trains of thought on this. One makes more sense to me. Neither are attracting. So I really don't care which one's right because I'm not going to find out. But when you talk about that worm, one of the trains of thought is, is that it's the worms that eat people when they're in the grave. That don't make no sense to me. What makes sense to me is the other train of thought because it says where their worm is, right? The people that go there. And where the worm will never die. And we never die whether we wind up in heaven or we wind up in hell. Once we're where we're going, it's that way forever. So the thing that makes sense to me is I'm going to be on fire if I wind up there. Be on fire forever because I can never die again. So I'm going to feel the excruciating pain of my whole body being on fire for every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day. Oh, my bad. There is no day. There's only forever. And the reason Jesus points that out right here is because he wants to make us understand, man, there ain't nothing that we do that's worth keeping if it means winding up there. There ain't nowhere we go that's worth continuing to go there if we wind up somewhere where we're going to be on fire forever. Nowhere. Nowhere. Watch this one. Now this one is particularly close to home in the day of the internet. I found out the other day that the second leading killer of 10 to 14 year olds in our country is suicide. And then the other one is like an age from like a, a 22 to 26 or something like that. The, the Trying to take out our youth. Trying to wipe out a generation before it ever reaches adulthood, man. How can the second biggest killer of 10 to 14 year olds be something that just a couple generations ago, they didn't even know what the word meant. I'll tell you how. Because now the whole world has access to every home that has the internet. Now am I saying you shouldn't have the internet? No, just listen to my words. The whole world, good and evil, and there are plenty of people and forces in this world that want nothing better than for young Esteban to never fulfill his purpose in the kingdom of God, to never have his own family, to never enjoy life. And they have access to our homes. That's how the second biggest killer of 10 to 14 year olds is suicide. All these forces now, you still. In the early 90s, it was TV. And everything was preached against. I mean, and uh, in the UPC, you could have one as long as you call it a monitor. I don't know if you remember that or not. But if you call it a monitor, it was okay, right? Because it's not a TV. It's like, uh, dude, I'm confused. It's either uh, what? <laughs> but what they were preaching about in principle was good. Because they were preaching and saying, Nelson, you would never let a grown man come in your house and start swearing in front of Esteban. 
Never. You would never let that go unchecked. And what they were preaching was, then why would we put this in the house and sit through an hour and a half movie of someone swearing the whole way through in Esteban's ears? And the principle was right and it was good. The problem was the way they preached it, they went too far and nobody hardly would listen because they went too far. They didn't preach the principle. And so today, anybody, somehow or another, 10-year-olds think this is their right to have one of these. I know. I know a lot of kids. I've got grandkids. I've got a great-grandbaby. 10-year-olds today think they need a phone. The problem is when Papa's asleep in the bed when the chickens go to bed and my grandbaby is out in the living room on the Wi-Fi or on the Internet on her phone that her parents have given her because she needs it, I don't know who's coming in my house. And I don't know what they're telling my grandbaby. Does that make sense? So see, that's what this whole concept of holiness is about. It's not about, is that thing a sin? No, I've got one. You've seen it. Guys came in the other day, I got to set up for a movie or a dinner and a show. I mean, it's in the kitchen, on top of the stove, I got one. It's just like what we're talking about tonight. In itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But if it becomes a thing, man, if I get 45 minutes in, the plot is so good. Now I'm hooked. So I'm going to listen to them say Jesus' name in vain 19 times in the next 20 minutes because I got to see how this ends. Then guess what that thing has become? Sin. It's sin. Same thing with music. Music is the same. It's same principle. I mean, come on. Man, I was there when ACDC first came out. I ran around that big boom box on my shoulder playing their uh, a Highway to Hell until wore out. Never thinking one time these people are singing the truth and don't even know it. There is a highway to hell and all their friends are probably going to be there if something don't happen. Guess what? There is a stop sign though. It's a cross. Amen. But to, for me to sit around now and listen to a song called The Highway to Hell when I know there are people really in hell right now, it's not funny that there are people all around me that are on the highway to hell right now. That's not a joke. So if I sit down and listen to it, oh, it's got a good beat, man. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I ain't worshiping them. No. No. But you're not taking seriously the fact that there is a highway to hell and your neighbors are on it. Now, that's just an example of how something that's not bad in itself, if we're not careful, can become a sin. Does that make sense? I hope I'm getting my, I hope I'm making sense tonight. Mm. If your eye offend you, Look it out. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was going through Walmart with Mama and some lady come by and skip the output and I went just like this, guess what? Somebody would be in ICU praying for me the next morning. <laughs> so how in the world is it right for me then to sit at home when Mama's at Walmart? I remember back in the 90s when I first started preaching this. It was fun back then too. <laughs> when I first started preaching this, they had a... a, a Bubblicious, double, double mint commercial, and it was about chewing gum. And when this first really became a principle to me that made sense when I got it, 
was when on the commercial for chewing gum, they showed twins. The whole concept of the commercial was double. Everything was twins. They showed two giraffes and two of this and two of that. Well, then they would end it with a grand finale. It was two twin sisters on a beach running in the opposite direction with bikinis on that are not bikinis. So I'm sitting there watching a chewing gum commercial and it's naked women. I mean, come on. That's when all this became real to me. And I thought, there is no way in the world Jesus is going to sit on my couch and watch this with me. Do I really want to have a time when he's not welcome in my house? Because Jesus won't stick around. I'm telling you. I can be filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't know how long if I feed that kind of stuff. But I know Jesus is not going to sit on that couch and watch food come out of there. He's going to leave. He said, be ye holy because I'm holy. He said, I'll not touch an unclean thing. We're the only unclean things that he'll put his hands to nowadays. Ain't that awesome that he did and that he does still? But if I then, after I know he's real and I know he's holy and I know he, he's clean, if I take him into a situation, whether it's a TV, whether it's going down to a bar, it don't matter if I'm not drinking. I go down to that bar and I sit down and everybody else is drinking because my buddy's playing or, or it's karaoke and my buddy, my cousin's singing. I don't know. Or it's at a wake after, you know, after the funeral. And that's where they're all going. How long can I sit in there and really believe that that's okay with the one that I call my personal... Personal means he's all up in my bed. Get a little personal, ain't you? <laughs> I don't think a lot of people realize what they're saying when they call him their personal savior because he does get personal. So is all this making sense to you? I mean, see, it's not list the rules, is it? I mean, everybody here loves Jesus. So there ain't one of you that wouldn't know within five minutes you were somewhere if that's a place that God really don't want to hang out and don't want you either. Ain't one of you that would be in a conversation that lasted two minutes with bad language before you know Jesus don't want to be in this conversation. He don't want you having it either. See how easy holiness is? It's not all these rules. Mm -mm. It's about relationship. If your eye offend you, pluck it out. Oh my goodness. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom. Oh, see, now he changes his terminology. This is super cool. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God. No, she doesn't say life this time. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. And just in case we forgot, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So what he's saying is, man, there might be some stuff, you know, I'm trying to watch a ball game. I just want to watch a ball game. Okay. But if you're wise, you know, I don't know why in the world anybody be Dallas, oh, Texas. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's okay. Some people like 500 teams. But if you're watching Dallas Cowboys and everybody knows what they're, they're not famous for winning, you know what they're famous for? Gene, my wife probably ain't watched a whole NFL game her whole life, but that is what the Dallas Cowboys are famous for. They're cheerleaders. Why? Because you got short skirts and wearing stuff that they used to only wear in the house and they're out there in front of God and everybody. So I'm watching the ball game and zoom, there it goes. And, there we are with the girls again. How many times can I do that before, you know, it's not the football. God ain't got a problem with, you know, big steroid-eating people fighting over a dead pig. I don't bother him a bit. <laughs> what he does got a problem with is if we sit there through that and let a lot of stuff come in our eyes 
that should not come in our eyes because that's worth it. Well, that might be worth it if we're just talking about those things somehow. But God, Jesus, just put a whole other thing on the table. He said it ain't just about sitting back and saying, is having to see that sometimes when you don't know it's coming worth being able to watch the game? And even if I can say yes to that, then he says, well, is it worth, I don't know, waking up on fire and never being able to put it out? So you see what Jesus did? I mean, he put all this heavy stuff on it. And the really cool thing is look at the three things that, that he covered. He covered the hand, the doing of something. He covered the feet, the going of somewhere. And he covered the eyes, the watching or looking at something. It's pretty simple, ain't it? You know, if we did that, who in the world would have to preach standards? I mean, really? Who would have to talk about any of that stuff? That's why the Bible's enough by itself. It doesn't need a, a pastor to come up with, well, I'm going to have to add 18 points to that verse. It's going to really get my point across. Well, you know what? That's your first problem. You're trying to get your point across and not God's. God didn't ask you what your opinion of his point was. All God asked us to do was share God's opinion of stuff, right? All right, so we got the, the doing, the going, and the seeing. Now, I want to give you this last part. This will be a whole other Bible study, but I can't help it. I have to share it right now. <laughs> he ends it with something that sounds completely off topic. I mean, he just says that if you see something you shouldn't, you know, you don't pluck that eye out. You don't stop watching. You're going to wake up in hellfire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And then he says, for or because, because everyone shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. He didn't say everyone that winds up in hell where the worm dieth not shall be salted with fire. He said everyone shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Check this out. This is very cool. We have what's referred to as a salt covenant with God. It was a covenant that the people of God had in the Old Testament, and we have it in the New. Listen to this. A salt covenant, and this didn't just happen between the people of God and God. It happened among tribes. They were feasts to celebrate peace treaties between tribes and nations, and salt was used as a symbol of permanence, and incorruptible purity. So you'd have these rival armies or these rival nations come together and they would agree on how to have peace and then they would say, okay, you know what we got to do now? We've got to have a feast and we've got to have make a salt covenant. And because salt cannot be corrupted and because it is permanent, then that is a symbol of their peace. It can't be corrupted and it's going to be permanent. Check this out. Leviticus 2 and 13 says, you can write that down if you want, and you can read it later. Leviticus 2 and 13, God told the people of God, this is fascinating to me, everything that's brought to the altar must have salt. And the reason he did that is because, again, salt is a sign of a covenant between God and man. It's a sign of permanence incorruptible purity, a salt covenant. Then here's New Testament where the writer of Colossians says, for us to let our speech be with grace and let it be seasoned, you ready for this, with salt. So what in the world does that mean? That means that salt in our speech is a sign of purity. 
In other words, when we talk to people, we're not using that F-bomb. When we talk to people, we're not, we're, we're not going to stay long in that crowd that's complaining about the job they begged God for last month. I'm talking about me right now, okay? We're not going to be caught up, you know, in the, the men at, at, at shops that talk about the women at shops. We went to a gathering. Do you remember this one? When I started Sam Dong, everybody knew what I was. Not because I told them, but because of the stuff I didn't get involved in. So pretty soon it was obvious what I wasn't. When somebody knows what you're not, pretty soon they'll figure out what you are. I've never in my life introduced myself as a preacher or a pastor. Oh, man, I'm trying to be a Christian. <laughs> I don't introduce myself that way either. I hope somebody's going to figure it out, right? Well, there's these men, and I was working on them, I was, but they would talk about these other women and all these men got wedding rings on, man. And that's where I first learned the, the phrase work wife. So I was like, man, you're going to get shot in your bed, and ain't nobody going to wonder why. You <laughs> ain't supposed to have no work wife. And they had them, I'm telling you. And so we went to Gatlinburg one time on a trip, and then we went away for the weekend, and I walked by the swindle, me and Kitty did, and I said, I'll be right back. And she says, what are you doing? I said, I, I, I got to get surprised. And I went inside, and I bought a shirt. And it was a simple shirt. It was a T-shirt. And all it said was, I love my wife. Mm -hmm. Remember the shirt? Yeah. Well, I went back. She later bought a shirt that said, I love my crazy husband. I'm not sure how that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I went back to work. Guess what? I want to work. I wore that shirt. I love my wife. And I wore it for a reason. And them guys, you know, would be standing around talking. And, you know, I know something funny started to happen. They started to have these conversations. And they'd see my shirt. And all of a sudden, they change the subject. It's conviction, right? It stands out for a reason. We have a salt covenant with God. We still do. And what that salt covenant is, is that our relationship with you, God, I want it to be permanent. Permanent. Now, does that mean I'll never mess it up? No. But it does mean when I fall down, if I can't get myself up, there's going to be a Jimmy or a Nathan or a Nelson or some sister come up behind me. Get up. Right? Yeah, there, there'll be a line. There'll be, no, there'll be bids on that spot. But so what I'm saying is, though, is the salt covenant means we want our relationship to be permanent. But then the other part of it is we want it to be pure. So that's where all this, that's why Jesus goes right into that. Now look what he says last, this is the last verse. He says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost, notice he doesn't say it. See what he did there? Now that's why it's so important when you, when you read, read. Get you a section and just stick. When you get something, when, when there's a section of scripture, that something just pops out of you, and you know those times when you know something did, but you don't know quite what it was? Well, stop at the end of that. Read it again, and then stop again. But then later, when you go back to the Bible, don't read all the way through the chapter saying, I gotta get my reading in today. No, we gotta get our feeding in today. I just made that up, it's pretty good. We gotta get our feeding in today. If all I'm doing is reading and not feeding, it ain't doing me no good, right? So this is a perfect example. Salt is good. Permanence is good. Purity is good. But if the salt has lost his purity, hmm, how are you going to season it? If I don't have purity, if I don't have the attitude that my relationship with God is permanent, not just from his end. You see, modern Billy Graham Christianity, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I can do whatever I want now because he's permanent on his end. Guess what? 
we got to be permanent in our end too. But it doesn't mean without error. And that does mean I'm in this thing until this thing ends. So that's pretty good too. All right. Salt's good, but if the salt has lost its saltness, wherewith will you season it? Then look what he says. Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Hmm. That's good stuff. See, have, have, have purity in yourself. Not, not to be the department head. Not, not to be in the pulpit. Not to be on this or over there or at that or doing this. No, no. We should have it ourselves. That means it's out there. It's here. It's at our homes. It's at Walmart. It's at Tractor Supply. <laughs> that purity. And that doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means, hey, you know what? I want to be as close to him as I can get. And I know there's some stuff that I can get in my life that'll cost me that. And then, have peace one with another. He could have preached about three days right there just to the church. Holiness 101. It's just relationship. You know, you know the kind of pastor that has to make a whole lot of rules? The kind of pastor that either can't explain to the people who's pastoring that it's about relationship, or the kind of pastor that's pastoring people that don't care about that relationship. And I want to state for the record that if people don't care about relationship, you're not pastoring them anyway. Ouch. You can have 500 people in your congregation and you can be the guy that's got the title of pastor, but usually out of 500, there's probably 150 that actually let you pastor them. That's not awesome. That's not what that is. All of us from time to time might, might stray off the path a little bit, right? And that's what a pastor that's an under-shepherd, that, that's all his job is, man. I was telling someone last week that I remember seeing a picture a long, long time ago, and it showed uh, Jesus, I think it was. And he was out of the field, and there's all these sheep. But the cool thing about the picture that just, I still, it's imprinted on my soul, is that Jesus had this lamb over his shoulders. And he's carrying this lamb along. That just stuck with me. I mean, I stood and stared at that painting for an hour, I think. And that's what an under shepherd's supposed to be. And I don't know if that, that sheep he was carrying for a while. I don't know if it tripped and just torqued its knee a little bit. But the under-shepherd saw there was a, a wound or a problem, tried to help with the knee, and then when he realized that that sheep couldn't walk on his own, he didn't tell that sheep, I'm going to carry you forever. But you know what he did? He reached out and gave that sheep the medicine for its knee, picked that sheep up and carried it. But I guarantee I know what he did the next day. He went to that sheep first. Not that he didn't love all the other sheep, but that sheep right there was the one having the problem right now. So that sheep right there was the main priority for that under shepherd. So that under shepherd the next morning goes back to that same sheep. Hey, how's your knee doing? All right? Oh, yeah, you're on your way, but I don't think you're ready to walk in here. Okay, maybe another day, maybe another two. But I guarantee you, I know what happened next. That under shepherd came over there and that sheep was jumping all around. You might have saw the shepherd come and say, oh, oh, want a free ride? <laughs> I guarantee that under shepherd didn't pick him up and give him a free ride that day. He said, no, you had an injury, but you got your strength back and you need to learn to walk on your own. See, that's what we do, isn't it? That's what we do with each other. 
We don't cast the sheep out of the flock when it has a problem walking. No, we do whatever we can to help that sheep get its strength back. And when it does, we set it down and then watch the rest. And when there's another one, not if, when there's another one, time to pick them up too and carry them for a while. And that's what we do. So, Holiness 101, you have a covenant of salt with God. That means it's permanent, not just from God, but from us. And it means that we're working on keeping that salt salty because if it's lost our saltness, it's not good for anything. See? See how important it is? Lord, I thank you, Father, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for people of the word. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege because I've learned over the years that's what it is. It's a privilege to, to be able to just share straight Bible with a group of people. Not to have to make it entertaining, not to have to have some good story from chicken soup for the hurting soul. And I thank you, Father, that your word's enough. And I thank you for the way your people love your word and love you. And I ask you now, God, Lord, I never want to preach something I'm not trying my best to do myself. And it starts here. And I ask you, Father, even now, Lord, if there's something I'm doing that you don't like, tell me about it. If there's somewhere I'm going you don't like, tell me about it. If there's something I'm watching and you don't like it, tell me about it. And on the other side, God, if there's something I need to do that you like, if there's somewhere I need to go you like, something I need to put in front of my eyes that you like, tell me about that too. And I ask the Lord to help every one of us to remember that that's what holiness is. It's relationship, that it's a salt covenant, that it's not just permanent from your end, it's permanent from ours. We're gonna walk this thing in this world until we walk into what you call real life. And then Father, it's a purity. It's not a purity that happens instantaneously. It's a purity that comes over time, just like in a marriage. That relationship, it grows. Help us to be proactive, not just to wait for impressions, just as in a marriage over time, Father, that we have to look for ways to please our spouse. Find new ways to show them our love, Lord. Help us to be that same way with you, to be proactive about it. To have it on our minds to find a way to please you a way to make sure that there's not a single place in our homes you can't go. There's not a single conversation we have that you can't get right in the middle of. There's not anything we do that you won't be involved in because we do need you in every area of our lives, Father. Lord, I thank you for an awesome God family, an awesome church family. I thank you, Lord, for this weekend already. I thank you, Lord, that your presence is going to be there, that your people are going to be there. I thank you, Father, that I don't have to concern myself with any of the things that modern religion does when the pastor goes out of town. I ask you, Father, and I thank you, first of all, for Beth. I thank you that she's putting herself out there, God, to share your word. And I ask you, Lord, to be on her mind and on her tongue and let your word come right through her the same way your worship does. 
I ask you, Lord, to, to use Jimmy and Stacy in the worship, Father, the way you always do, God, that the worship would set them up and the word would knock them down. I ask you to bless your people, Father. Keep your hand upon us until we come together again. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. All right, God bless you. I uh, hope I helped you a little bit. If not, call Nathan. <laughs>